You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. As you've heard, we're starting a new study today uh, in the book of Exodus. Excited about uh, what the Lord has in store for us uh, as we transition away from the parables, um, the study that we've been in over the summer, and now transitioning to uh, the book of Exodus. Always sad to leave one study behind. Uh, We'll certainly always cherish the truths that we learn together uh, through that study, but always excited about the new study that we jump into because I believe that there can be an anticipation of what God is going to teach us. Even if you may be familiar with the book of Exodus, there are going to be things that we learn and study together that maybe you've never seen before that will hopefully radically change you moving forward, uh, strengthening your faith, encouraging Uh, your obedience to him, uh, causing you to trust him more. And so uh, excited about what we're going to see through the book of Exodus. Before we get there, there, I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 105. Psalm chapter 105. Um, There's always a reason for why we transition to specific studies. And so I told you uh, while we were in our study in Psalms that our next big study would be the book of Exodus uh, for a main reason being that Uh, not just in the book of Psalms, but certainly in the book of Psalms, there's constant reference back to events that take place in the book of Exodus. Uh, These events that ultimately point us to um, the, the glory and the wonder of God and how he takes care of his people. And Psalm 105 is a great example of that. So I just want to read to you through this lengthy text, but I want you to, to see and understand where we're headed in this study as it gives a, a great overview of the contents of the book of Exodus. It says in verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name, Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him, the ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions, to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants." He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. 
He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land, the first fruits of all their strength. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations. They took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Our summary sentence for today, through the book of Exodus, we will learn the history of Yahweh specifically working to sovereignly save a specific people to make his unmatched glory known in a global way. Through the book of Exodus, we will learn the history of Yahweh, how God chooses to reveal himself to his people, right? The specific name that he gives himself. Through the book of Exodus, we will learn the history of Yahweh, specifically working to sovereignly save a specific people, to make his unmatched glory known in a global way. For our kids, Exodus teaches us about how great God is to his people. Now, it's important that we set the stage for what's happening during this time in history uh, so that we can better understand the circumstances surrounding the Exodus. Now, we studied Genesis. This may surprise you. Uh, We started it eight years ago. So eight years ago, almost to the month, we started our study in Genesis and finished it after the the 50 chapters um, in that book and then jumped all the way to Revelation. And so we never really got into Uh, what happened to God's people as they moved into Egypt. We saw, we left off with uh, Joseph being in Egypt, bringing Jacob and his family down there and them living in Egypt, but we never saw exactly what happened after that. And so we're picking up where we ended our Genesis study uh, almost a decade ago. The book of Exodus, the, the, the term, the name for the book means exit or going out or departure. It comes from the Septuagint name for the book. So the Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament originally written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Uh, The Septuagint is the Greek translation of that. And so the Greeks had named this book in the translation as they translated into that language. Uh, It was named something similar to the book Exodus, transliterated into the English language. We get that name for our book today. The author is Moses. Uh, Jesus attributes the Exodus content to Moses. So if you were to read in Mark chapter 7 or Mark chapter 12, Jesus is drawing from the content of Exodus to make points with the people that he's talking to, and he references Moses being the author of that content. The context of the book, it's a continuation of the stage set at the end of Genesis. So you may want to spend some time this week going back and reading through Genesis, kind of seeing um, the story of God's people unfolding there leading into the book of Exodus. But just kind of a quick recount, uh, you'll remember that Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, is sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. Um, he's taken away to Egypt, and we see from the book of Genesis, it's an act shown to fit within the sovereign plan of God in anticipation of that coming famine and the need to preserve the, defendant, the descendants of Abraham through that crisis, right? So we know as we read through Genesis, Joseph is sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. It's a tragic story. You're left wondering, why would God allow this to happen? 
right? But then as the book continues, you start to see, oh, wow, God, in his foreknowledge, anticipated what was coming and set the stage so that his people would be protected, right? This great famine comes on the land. Joseph is in Egypt. He's running Egypt by this point. He's able to store up food, not just for his family, but for all the people in the land to be able to eat during those years of famine. During that time, Jacob is told to make the journey to, uh, to Egypt in anticipation, of God w- in anticipation of what God would eventually accomplish through his family there. You read in Genesis chapter 46, Joseph, again, is already down there. He's taking care of people with the food that he's stored up. He sends for his father, Jacob, to bring all the family there. Jacob is a little apprehensive because if you read through Genesis, you know there's times when God's people go to Egypt and it's not part of God's plan. They do so out of disobedience and God has to rebuke them. So Jacob is slow to move to Egypt, but God through a dream says, no, you need to go. This is part of my plan. You're going to go there and your people are going to thrive there, right? We're going we're to make a great nation out of your people there. And so God moves Jacob and his family there to Egypt And so Genesis ends with the sons of Jacob being a few score in number and living in privilege, living in privilege there. But if you read, if you want to turn to Exodus chapter one now, in verse eight, it says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. It's a key point that we'll see in the coming weeks uh, that God raises up a Pharaoh who doesn't remember Joseph, doesn't remember all that Joseph did to Egypt, and therefore doesn't show favor to Joseph's people. Um, and so Genesis ends with Jacob and his sons moving to Egypt. They're thriving there, but then Exodus opens with Joseph dying, and that memory of Joseph fades very quickly. And the Egyptians become alarmed at the children of Israel. And so as this chapter one unfolds, you'll see that uh, they're put into slavery to try to beat them into submission so they don't become a threat. By the end of the chapter, you're seeing uh, genocide um, applied so that they can try to even limit the numbers of the Israelites, to try to kill off the firstborn sons, to try to kill off these sons that would, would eventually populate more. And so they're trying to control the, the population of the Israelites. Exodus ultimately then provides this historical account of God's deliverance of his people from Egypt's cruel slavery. And I, and I want to emphasize the point that it's a historical account because we're coming out of a series where we're sharing stories that Jesus is telling that aren't true, right? They're not true accounts. These are most likely made-up analogies that Jesus uses to drive home spiritual points. So all these stories that we've been talking about previously, it's important for our kids to understand this. Those are parables. Those are not true stories. They're used for spiritual purposes, What we now transition to is another story, but it's more than a story. It's a historical account of what really happened and what God really did to save and preserve his people. So going back to the book of Genesis, we saw the origins of the universe, and then we saw the origins of God's people as he calls out Abraham and gives him Isaac, and then Jacob is the promised son who comes from uh, Isaac's lineage. And so we're, we're seeing individual people, a family that God is making his own. But Exodus moves us into a creation of a nation. So we go from the creation of the world to now a creation of, the na- of a nation here in the book of Exodus. Chapter 1, which we'll get into starting next week, covers centuries to set the stage for the slavery. 
400 years are covered in chapter 1. We know that's how long they spent in Egypt in slavery. So chapter 1 covers a long period of time. We're kind of fast-forwarding through Joseph all the way to the deliverance where Moses comes on the scene, right? So chapter 1, centuries are covered here. Chapter 2 covers about 80 years. And then chapter 3 through chapter 40 covers a year and a little bit more. Um, so, So a lot of what happens time-wise is covered in chapters 1 and 2, and then chapters 3 and following, about a year plus of time is going to be covered through those chapters. Chapters 1 through 13, Israel is in Egypt. Chapters 13 through 18, Israel is in the wilderness. And then chapters 19 through 40, Israel is at the mountain um, at Sinai where God is delivering his covenant and his um, qualifications for that covenant Uh, And we'll see that through the Ten Commandments and the laws that are coming uh, towards the end of our study. The message of Exodus that I want us to dial in on is that God works sovereignly to make himself known to all peoples by specifically remembering his people, miraculously saving them from evil, and divinely instructing them about how to follow him now in obedience as he dwells within their midst. It's kind of a summary of the book. God working sovereignly to make himself known. And we're going to see how he wants to make himself known, not just to the children of Israel, but also to the Egyptians and to the surrounding nations. So he wants to make himself known to all peoples. And he's going to do that by specifically remembering his people, his covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's going to make himself known by miraculously saving them from the Egyptians, which would have been the superpower at that time. And then we're also going to see how he divinely instructs them to follow him in obedience as he dwells in their midst, right? He's going to dwell in their midst as he leads them by cloud during the day and by fire at night as they construct the tabernacle and his presence is dwelling with them in the midst of their camp. As he calls them out to obedience, he starts to separate them and distinguish them from the other cultures around them. This is all part of God's plan to make himself known. Now, there's some important imagery in the book of Exodus that we'll keep coming back to, and these things point us to deeper truths, deeper pictures of God's plan. Egypt represents the life we're rescued from and the life we're avoid returning to, right? So we're going to see the book of Exodus in the context of our own salvation. Uh, Egypt kind of represents for us the life of sin that we're rescued from, the life of sin that we're never to go back to. We'll see the the children of Israel talking about wanting to go back to Egypt, right? They start to doubt God, distrust God, um, grow discontent with God's provision. Hey, let's go back to where we came from. It's a picture of us wanting to sometimes go back to our life of sin as well. The burning bush, it's more than just a cool picture or a cool story. It represents the presence of God and his character specifically. It also communicates to us his desire to be their God and for them to be his people. As he's communicating with Moses, before Moses ever goes back to Egypt to start the process of the Exodus, God is communicating through that burning bush, his presence. He says, I'm I'm calling them to be my people. I am going to be their God. And so it communicates his presence to us, his character to us. He is the I am as he tells Moses in that scene. The plagues represent God's superiority over the gods of Egypt. That God is greater than everything this world has to offer. It reminds us today that God is still greater than everything this world has to offer. 
anything this world could try to sell us, God is superior to. The Red Sea represents his salvation and deliverance, an act that, um, that we walk through in faith. The desert represents his continued guidance, his provision, uh, and his sustenance as he leads and protects his people. He's going to lead them through the desert. He's going to guide them and direct them and provide them provide for them while they're there. The tablets, the Ten Commandments, represent God's authority, his way of life for his new people, commands that we can submit to and follow because they are good for us. The tabernacle represents God's ongoing presence with them. There's a good portion of this book that is devoted to building that tabernacle with with set uh, parameters and specifications to do it this way. We're going to see what that means and what that entails for our faith, but it's God's presence with them his ongoing presence with them. Some important imagery that we see there then in the book of Exodus that we'll come back to and see more and more. But what I want to kind of spend our time doing today is really just looking at some reasons for why we're studying this book, right? It's, it's a book that, that goes way back with its history. Um, it, it's, it's a history of God's people, Israel, right? And so uh, I don't know that anybody in here claims Jewish descent. So why would we spend time talking about something that is so old um, that, that, as Tyson was even sharing earlier, is a shadow of things to come? So we experience the greater things today. So why go back and look at the shadows once again? Uh, why do we look towards a, a history of people that we don't hail from? Why is this book important? Well, I want us to see that today. I want to give us some reasons to kind of set the stage uh, for our study. It starts with us looking at a graphic that I created to kind of put on the website as a link to click on for this sermon series, but it's more than just meant to be something that's aesthetically appealing uh, to represent the book. Like there's some intentionality with how this was created to hopefully serve as a reminder, however, however long we end up being in this book, what this book is meant to convey to us. I chose the burning bush as kind of the central image for us to come back to because again, that symbolizes the picture of God telling us, I'm your God. You're my people. I'm going to lead you and guide you and direct you and protect you. Uh, it's God coming on the scene and communicating to Moses when there, there's virtually been a lot of silence there, right? Uh, God's certainly communicating with Jacob and Joseph and, and that family, but then we see that there seems to be some silence that takes place, maybe 400 years where they're not directly hearing from Yahweh. Now Yahweh shows back up on the scene and says, hey, we're moving from me being the God of a people or God of a, a family to now being a God of a people, right? And I'm gonna be your God and you're going to be my people. But I, I chose the, uh, conveniently, the book of Exodus has the word us, right, in it. And so I set that part off because I do want us to see that us, we fit into this story. This is not just the history of Israel. This becomes the history of us as well. If we're the people of God today, then this is our history. So we're gonna see that as, this, as we unpack this book, how we fit into this story, right? Thousands of years ago, these events took place. They took place with a national people that most of us don't have any connection to. And yet spiritually, we find ourselves grafted into this people, this people of faith. And so this becomes our history becomes our history. And specifically, 
uh, this piece right here over the us, this, this swipe of blood uh, is meant to remind us of that culmination, that final night in Egypt where the Passover takes place, the death angel comes through, and it's the blood that is spread on the doorpost that spares Israel's firstborn, right? It's the, it's the perfect lamb that's sacrificed that allows God's wrath to pass over. And so we're gonna see that, yes, that is a shadow of a greater, a greater wrath, Right? And a greater salvation from that wrath that comes in the New Testament. Right? That night, individuals died. Now, today, we think more in terms of the spiritual death that we are potentially going to endure if we don't turn to God in faith. Right? And so, Exodus is about us seeing ourselves in this story, seeing that the blood of the perfect Lamb in the New Testament can be applied to us so that His wrath can pass over us. So, why do we study the book of Exodus? Number one, to embrace the history of God's national people as now the history of God's spiritual people. To embrace the history of God's national people as now the history of God's spiritual people. In Exodus chapter 19, verse four, it says, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus she shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the whole earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Notice the words that that God is using to Moses to communicate to the people these these important pictures of who the Israelites are to be to him, a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Certainly, those are words that are used, that are communicated to national Israel on that day at Mount Sinai. Moses is communicating on behalf of God. This is what God says about you. But if you fast forward to 1 Peter 1 and 2, you see the same language being used by Peter to us as believers today that we are a holy nation. We are a priesthood set apart for God, right? Whether we're, whether we're of Jewish descent or not, right? Paul went to great lengths in the book of Galatians to show us that, hey, if we have faith in Abraham, then we are of Abraham now. We are part of this people, right? So you don't have to be Jewish to be part of God's plan. You don't have to be Jewish to be part of God's chosen people. By faith, we enter into this family group. By faith, we enter into this people. And so this is our history. This is us now because we are the holy nation. We are the people of God. Same words used in Exodus as Peter uses in his letter. Exodus moves our understanding of God being for a family to God being for a people, Right? In Genesis, he's a God of a family, the patriarchs. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a phrase that's used early on in the Old Testament consistently. Right? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Which God are you talking about? I'm talking about the God of that people, of that family. Right? He's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then you start to see it transition as you get deeper into the Old Testament. Because of what happens in Exodus, he's now the God of Israel. Right? You start to see that God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob being replaced now by the fact that he's a God of a people, not just a family. He's the God of a people. <clears throat> Exodus is their story, but has become our story via adoption. 
The family history can now be embraced by us even though it's not our natural history. We had a, a teacher that was doing a project recently and um, it was basically like your, your family heritage or your family lineage. And so the kids were encouraged to talk with their parents and kind of come to a better understanding of who they are and where they come from. And there was a concern raised because we have a lot of, uh, uh, of adoptive families in Trinity as to, well, well, how do we approach this with adopted kids? That's going to be potentially offensive or hurtful because maybe they don't know their family history. And my response is, they need to know your history because your history has become their history now, right? The circumstances and events that led you to being you, that led you to pursuing adoption, all of that history now becomes their history, just like Israel's history becomes ours. When you are adopted into a family, grafted into a family, that family becomes your family now. And so this family, this this family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are, are, are we born as descendants from him physically? No, most of, us, most of us couldn't trace it back to that. But the spiritual root, the spiritual connection, it grafts us into this family. We become God's people because of our faith. The same faith that Abraham has, we express that same faith today. We are now grafted into that family. So as we study Exodus, what I want us to see again is how we fit into this story. This is our history now. It's our spiritual history. So as God protects his people, we see that as God protecting us. We see that as God providing for his people, he's providing for us. We study Exodus to embrace that history as our own history. Number two, to gain a deeper trust that our God remembers what he promises and is always working to fulfill those promises. To gain a deeper trust that our God remembers what he promises and is always working to fulfill those promises. He is not a passive God. He always is remembering and working. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, it says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. What a comforting verse there that God hears their groaning, God remembers his covenant, God saw his people, and Moses just writes, and God knew. God knew everything that was happening. God knew everything that was going on, and God was working and moving behind the scenes to preserve his people. He's not passive. Exodus chapter three, verse six. And he said, I am the God of your father. This is him talking through the burning bush to Moses. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. He remembers. He remembers his promises. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Right? He, wants to, he wants to compel the people to hear from Moses that it's the God who made promises to your forefathers that has come to deliver you. You fast forward to Exodus chapter 6, verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. I'll bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I'll give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. This is, what, this is what God communicates, that he remembers his promises. And we can trust him to remember the same promises today. He's not a passive God. He's not a passive God. He raised up Moses, but he also raised up Pharaoh intentionally. As he's carrying out these purposes and plans, he raises up, he raises up Pharaoh specifically. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Well, we know from Scripture that, that kings only come into power because God allows it. So God allows a king to come into power who doesn't know Joseph, who doesn't remember Joseph. And then in Exodus chapter 9, God tells Pharaoh why he let him come into power. It says in verse 13 of chapter 9, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. Notice what God's saying there. He says, if I wanted to, I could have already killed you. I could have already removed you. You could already be off this earth completely. Verse 16, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting, exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Basically, God says, if I wanted to, I could have already ended this, could have already shown myself and we could be done with this, but no, I'm not done showing how great I am. I'm not done showing how great I am. I want to extend it. Like there's going to be more plagues. I'm going to keep you in power because I want people to really see how great I am. I don't want it to end, right? He says, I put you in this position to make myself known. This has been a long time ago now, it feels like, but years ago uh, there, uh, in the Georgia-Florida college football series rivalry, uh, Georgia had beaten Florida and it kind of rubbed, rubbed their noses in it the year before, 
right? Like we had come out on the field and scored a touchdown and the entire team came out and danced and celebrated because it had been hard to beat Florida in years past and now we were doing it. And so we, we did this grand celebration uh, that got all kinds of penalties and, and whatnot. And so the next year, the next year Florida beat us and they didn't let it end as quickly as it could have. So at the end of the game, Florida is blowing Georgia out, right? There's no reason for the game to keep going on. Let the clock run out. Let it be done. And I remember the Florida coach taking timeout after timeout at the end of the game so the game wouldn't end, right? He wanted the Georgia people, the Georgia fans, the Georgia team to never forget how good they were that day. He just kept calling timeout after timeout. Like, that's the picture I get from God here. He's like, Pharaoh, we could be done now. This game could be over, right? Like, if I wanted to, we could end this because I'm so much greater than you right now. But I want it to be known. I want it to extend. Like, I want to make a point of how great I am. God is always working. God is always moving. Now, what we haven't really touched on is back in Genesis chapter 15, when God is making these promises to Abraham, right? Isaac's not on the scene yet. Jacob's not on the scene yet. Joseph's not on the scene yet. The famine hasn't come yet. Way back, God tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going I'm I'm to make a great people out of you. He says, but in order to do that, you're going to have to go somewhere. Your people are going to have to be slaves. They're going to have to be there for 400 years. Like he, like he tells them up front, like, this is going to happen. Like, I don't know how much of that oral tradition, because Moses wrote Genesis as well, so it wasn't like Israel was slaves in Egypt reading the book of Genesis. Hopefully that oral tradition was passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph and to the rest of the sons so that they couldn't understand that. But God had told them, you're going to be here 400 years. So anybody that was in Egypt as slaves for the first 200 years, they should have just known, this is my life. And this ain't ending because there's still 200 more years of this to come, right? God had promised them that. And part of the reason that he promised them that was we're told that the, the sins of the Amorites hadn't gotten to the point that God was ready to judge it yet. So there's this grace period that God shows for 400 years. Before we're gonna judge the Canaanites, they're gonna have 400 more years to get things right with me before I judge them with you. We'll talk more as we get into Exodus. Why did God put them in Egypt? Why did he make them stay there for 400 years? But what the point of today, to to help you remember, is in Genesis 15, God told them this was going to happen. But God doesn't just have this happen and then passively step back. No, God is working and moving all in the midst of those 400 years to set the stage for this glorious display of who he is. He informs them that, look, Israel's going to be birthed out of slavery, and it's going to be used to bring judgment upon the wicked. He promised offspring and deliverance to Abraham, Exodus shows us keeping that promise in Genesis 15. It shows us that God does both as promised. You read in Exodus chapter 12. Remember, they went down as a family. Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. The people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt, could not wait, nor had they prepared any provision for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. They went in as a family. They come out in the millions. God had multiplied them just as he had promised. 
And God delivered them after the 400 years, just as he had promised. He told Abraham, you're going to have descendants like crazy. And you're going to be in Egypt for a while. And then I'm going to rescue you out of Egypt. The book of Exodus is him keeping those promises. The truth for us to see is that the circumstances don't undermine God's plan here. No, instead, God's plans determine the circumstances. It's the same for us today. Our circumstances aren't undermining God's plan for our life. No, God's plan is determining our circumstances. He's working and moving and keeping promises just as he did to Israel. What we need to do is hear God's promises to us, believe those promises, and obey him, knowing he will accomplish everything he has said he will do. So point number one, we want to study Exodus to embrace the history of these people as our history. We want to gain a deeper trust, number two, that God remembers his promises, keeps his promises, so we can trust him as well. Number three, to see and learn more about who God was and is still today, specifically seeing the fame and glory he deserves now. We want to see and learn more about who God was and who he is still today. It's the same God. Specifically, seeing the fame and the glory he deserves now. Exodus is written with a major goal of his name and fame becoming known throughout all the creation. Okay, so there's a a phrase that you'll see repeatedly through the book of Exodus, and it's this phrase. You shall know that I am the Lord. You shall know that I am the Lord. It becomes a major phrase used throughout this book. So the book of Exodus is about God making himself known. We've said that through summary sentences and and messages today already. God wants himself to be known, and he's going to do that in a lot of ways through this book. He wants to be known as Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7 tells us, that he's merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, but he's also a just God. He's a just God who won't just clear the guilty, right? So we have a merciful, gracious, and just God. And he wants to be known in those ways. He wants Israel to know him. Look what Exodus chapter 6 tells us. Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. He says, I want you to know me, Israel. I'm going to show you who I am. He wants Egypt to know who he is, though, as well. Exodus chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Look at verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. He says, I want Israel to know. I want Egypt to know who I am. I want Pharaoh to know who I am. Exodus chapter 8, verse 10. And he said, tomorrow, Moses said, be as you say so, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. He's talking to Pharaoh. He says, we're going to send frogs upon you so that you'll know that there is no one like the Lord our God. He also wants the world to know who he is. Not just Israel, not just Egypt, not just Pharaoh, but the entire world. He says in Exodus chapter 9, verse 15, it's the same passage we were just reading about. Uh, I could have ended this a long time ago, but I'm, I've not because I have a purpose. And verse 16 reminds us of that purpose. I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be pro- proclaimed in all the earth. 
fast forward years later and after they've already wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, remember what Rahab tells the spies, right? Moses is off the scene now. Joshua is now leading them. They're coming into the promised land and Rahab and her people are still talking about the Red Sea. They're still talking about what God did in Egypt. It's not just the Egyptians that God's making a point to. He's making a point to the nations surrounding them as well. But he also wants the coming generations to know. Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, and this is where it applies directly to us. We want to see who God is through this study, and we need to see our responsibility to tell others who God is from this study, to tell our kids so that our kids can tell their kids as well. Exodus chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. God says, I'm giving you guys content to pass on to your kids and to their kids and for it to keep going, for you to tell this story over and over and over again so that people will always know how great I am. Notice the dual focus that God has here with the way he's communicating. He wants little, he wants little individuals, right, that are a blip on the timeline of history to know him. He wants large people groups to know who he is as well. That's the type of God that we serve. He's not a God that's just a God of the big picture who just works with the big groups of people. No, he's working with individuals as well. God is super dialed into exactly what's happening in your life right now. The circumstances in your life are being used for specific purposes in your life. But he's also using circumstances to shape the United States and China and Russia and Mexico and every other nation that's out there today too. He's working with individuals and he's working with large people groups who God was, who he still is today. We're going to see that he is a God who is still revealing himself today. He reveals himself to Israel. He's still doing that today. He's a God who still hears the cries of his people today. For those of you that are maybe going through some challenging circumstances right now and you have been crying out to God, know that the God who heard the groaning and the cries of the children of Israel hears your cries today too. He hears you and he knows. He hears you and he knows. He is a God who still rescues us from evil today. He is a God who still provides for our daily necessities, sometimes in normal ways, sometimes in miraculous ways. And he is a God who still guides us today as well. Just had a panic mode because the clock reset back there and it says 12.05 and it is not 12.05. So we're still good and we're almost done. But I thought we were about to be really done here really quick. All right, number four, to understand better our own salvation through the lens of Israel's salvation to better understand our own salvation through the lens of Israel's salvation. Think about this. Up until the cross in the New Testament, this is the greatest redemption story of all time. They celebrated it, the Passover, right? They talked about it like we talk about uh, Jesus dying on the cross and coming back from the dead. They talked about the time that Jesus rescued his people from, from Egypt. That was the greatest redemption story. It was a shadow of what we now experience today with the cross and the resurrection. It was the greatest miracle of all time for them walking through the Red Sea, being provided for in the desert. It's why so many of the Psalms reference it. They sung about it. They talked about it in the same ways that we sing and talk about the cross and the resurrection today. But these salvation principles in Exodus help us to better understand the greater salvation of the New Testament. Think about what Luke 24 says. Jesus has come, has come back from the dead. He's walking with the two on the road to Emmaus. It says that he opened 
the Scriptures. And he began to expound upon from the books of Moses who he is, how the Old Testament pointed to him. So we can understand Jesus better by looking to this Old Testament book. But we also need to keep in mind that even in the New Testament, like what happened in the book of Exodus is still shaping how things are today. Think about Revelation 5 pictures Jesus as the perfect lamb. Well, we know why the perfect lamb, we even have a context for why he would be called the perfect lamb because Exodus introduces us to the sacrifice system, right? It introduces us to the fact that a perfect lamb is needed, one without broken bones, right? As they're getting ready to flee Egypt, we'll see through the Passover, they're to select a lamb who has no broken bones. It's why scripture is so specific to tell us that Jesus's bones in John chapter 19 were not broken on the cross. He was already dead when they came to break his bones. Why? Because he's the perfect lamb and he can't have broken bones that would obliterate the picture of the sacrifice from the book of Exodus, right? So his bones aren't broken. He is the perfect lamb. Revelation 5, he is the slain lamb for us. We need the perfect lamb to apply his blood to the doorposts of our hearts so God's wrath will too pass over us. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Right, so we want to see this in, book, in the book of Exodus to better understand our salvation. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John the Baptist tells us in John chapter 1, verse 29. We see the pattern of salvation in a deeper way by looking to the book of Exodus. It's how he draws us out to draw us in, right? He drew the people out of Egypt to draw them into fellowship with him. He does the same for us today. He draws us out of sin to draw us into fellowship with him. My awareness of salvation begins with revelation, understanding who God is. The book of Exodus certainly helps us to see who God is. My need for salvation grows with realization, understanding the inadequacies of other gods. The plagues in Egypt help point us to the fact that this world is not enough. It's not enough in comparison to Yahweh. Salvation is us coming to that realization that the things of this world they can't satisfy me, only he can. My expression for salvation results in redemption, understanding how God saves me. It's not by my works. It's not by my works of righteousness, right? It's by the work of Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb whose blood is shed for me. My experience of salvation leads to ramifications, understanding how God separates me for himself. Just as he calls Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness to be different from other people, he too is calling us to the same thing. Number five, to live out my call to holiness in a more distinct way by learning the desires God has for his people. Through this study in Exodus, we're gonna see how we too are called to holiness. We too are called to be different from other people. The laws of God reflect his character and God's people are always called to live out his character for all to see. The way we live is to be distinct and different from those who are not God's people. Let me say that again. For our youth, listen carefully to this. The way we live is to be distinctly different from those who are not God's people. We see this in the ways that we are passionate for justice. We're committed to compassion. We're content with moderation, right? The, the Egyptians and the, and the other cultures that Israel's gonna come in contact with, they're completely consumed with the good things that God has given and they have made idols out of them. Right? That's what an idol is. It's taking the good things that God gives us and making them absolute things in our life. That's what the Egyptians had done. That's what the Canaanites had done. They took good things, good things, 
good pleasures, good things to enjoy on this earth, and had made them absolutes, the end-all, be-all for their satisfaction. God says, we're going to call you out of that. We're still going to let you enjoy the good things, but we're going to put things in place that help you to see that they are to be enjoyed in moderation so that I'm the thing that you're consumed with. You're not consumed with this thing or that thing or, or anything else but me. We're called to come out of the majority and be different. Exodus 23, 2. Exodus 23, 2 says, do not fall in with the many to do evil. Be different, be separate. For our youth, be different, be separate from those that you come in contact with that are not God's people. You should be distinctly different from them. Exodus 23, 5 tells us to do good to our enemies. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 reminds us, um, and I'd encourage you to read through 1 Corinthians 10 as part of our study tells us that these things have been recorded for us. The book of Exodus has been recorded for us. All the, um, the, the grossness of Israel's complaining and grumbling has been recorded for us to help us not grumble and complain, to learn lessons from their mistakes. The book of Exodus is going to help us to see that we're not supposed to be normal people. We're to be special people, set-apart people for God. Set-apart people for God. And then lastly, number six, to realize that God's active covenant presence in our life is the thing that matters most. To have God in our life, to be submitted to him, it's the best thing possible for us. His covenant presence in our life is what distinguishes us as his people forever. We need him desperately. Exodus chapter 33. Moses is talking back to God here, and he says in verse 15, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, Do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses says, here's what makes us different. Here's what makes us different from everybody else on the planet. It's your presence with us. That presence pictured in the burning bush, pictured in the cloud, pictured in the fire pillar, your presence with us, Moses says, that's what makes us different. It's what makes us different today. If you're, if you're a child of God, if you're a son or daughter of God, what makes you different is God's presence with you, his good presence, that he's always working good for you as his children. It's the most important thing that we can ever have, God's presence with us. We want to realize that more through our study in Exodus. The application for us is that we need to prepare In anticipation of this study, we need to prepare to embrace the deeds of God recorded in this book so we can remind ourselves that Yahweh is truly greater than all other gods and so we can faithfully recount them to others as well. We need to prepare to embrace the deeds of God recorded in this book so we can remind ourselves that Yahweh is truly greater than all other gods and so we can faithfully recount these deeds to others as well. Exodus chapter 18 shows us what we're supposed to do with what we learn from Exodus. And so I'm telling you in anticipation of the final sermon that we have in Exodus, this is going to be the application that we share these deeds with others. Exodus chapter 18, verse 8. This is Moses. He's come out of Egypt. He's brought the people out of Egypt. He returns and talks to his father-in-law. And he says in verse 8 to his father-in-law, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord has done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. 
And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now, look at what verse 11 says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Moses says, I got to tell you the craziest thing. Like, you're not going to believe this, father-in-law, but this is what God did. His father-in-law responds and says, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard, right? Your God is greater than every other God that I've ever heard about. I'm going to worship him. That's to be our response as well, to learn about this God, to share this God with the people that we come in contact with at work, in our neighborhoods, in our hobbies, to share the greatness of God so they too would turn to him and say, you're greater than anything I've experienced on this earth. Your promises and your keeping of your promises greater than any promises this world makes to me. Well, we gotta be ready for this study to embrace it that way. Psalm 81, the last verse I'll read to you. Psalm 81, verse 10. This is like the perfect intro verse to this study, I think. Psalm 81.10. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He didn't bring you and me out of Egypt, but he did bring our family out of Egypt. Not our natural family, but our spiritual family. He brought them out of Egypt and by doing so, he saved us thousands of years later. The God who's made promises, who's keeping promises today. He says, this is who I am. And he says, I'm the type of God, if you'll open your mouth right now, I will fill it up. I will fill it with food and water just like I filled their mouths up in the wilderness. If we'll prepare ourselves and come ready with soiled hearts that are ready to be open and ready to receive his word and let it be planted in us so that it can grow and thrive. If we will open ourselves to it, open our mouths wide, he will fill us with his deeds and not just to fill our heads, but to fill our hearts so that we trust him more. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We praise you and thank you for this book and all that you're gonna teach us through it. God, I pray that you would prepare us. God, help us not to squander the next coming weeks and months. Lord, you're telling us if we'll open our mouths wide, you will fill it. So God, help us to come each week with our mouths wide open, ready to hear from you, ready to see who you are so that we can better understand who we are and what you desire for us. God, we want to know that you are the Lord. We want to know that you are Yahweh over this entire universe. God, we want to know your presence in our life. We want to believe that your presence is the most important thing. It's more important than a job promotion. It's more important than a spouse. It's more important than a child. It's more important than a house. It's more important than anything this world could give us the satisfaction of having you actively working in our life is greater than anything. God, help us to believe that through this study. Help us to know that you are the Lord. Help us to know that you are the Lord through the ways that you provided for your people. Help us to see that your people are our people. Lord, help it to translate thousands of years, thousands of years later today that you are still the same God, ready to still work and move in the same ways in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. 
For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.